Okay, let's stand. It's a long passage. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 9. It's the story and the dialogue associated with Jesus' healing of a man who was blind from birth. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes, So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees says, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered, we know that he is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone would confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now I see. They said to him, Why did, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man... We do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. 
You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, and for those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In the 8th century B.C., 700 plus years before Christ came to earth, the prophet Isaiah prophesied concerning the coming Messiah. The text said that the man said, never since the beginning of the world had eyes been opened or that a blind person born blind had been given sight. As far as historical perspective, he was correct. And there are very, very few recordings, even in the Old Testament, which is filled with miracles and wonders, do we find occasions where blind were made to see. And on no occasion is it mentioned that the person was blind from birth, congenital blindness. But in prophesying the coming of the Messiah, Isaiah says in chapter 29, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. And it became thematic to the prophet Isaiah. In chapter 35, when he's talking about the return and the great gathering of God's people, talking about Christ. He says, Behold your God, he shall come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This particular healing is the sign, another one of the great signs that Jesus performed, recorded in the Gospel of John. By record, it's the sixth sign. And John tells us that these signs were given that we might believe. But these signs were not unadorned and sheerly narrated. 
Along with each of these signs comes a large amount of conversation, of explanation of what it was all about. The larger context here is Jesus' exposition of himself as the light of the world. You recall that the events of the past few chapters have taken place at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, the great fall festival. And one of the events of the fall festival was the lighting of large lamps that would light up and the carrying of torches that would form a twilight torchlight parade and procession. And Jesus, taking that occasion, had been speaking of himself as the light of the world, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Apparently, tabernacles is over, and Jesus and his disciples have moved on, but not very far from the temple area. And on this occasion, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He will call them in the Sermon on the Mount, the light of the world. And he keeps unfolding what that means. He keeps telling us what he's talking about when he's talking about the light of the world. And what better sign to indicate light than to bring glorious, novel enlightenment to a man, a well-known man, a roadside beggar. We've, We've... We've met in our past series on miracles, Bartimaeus, who was a beggar at the way going into Jericho and how the Lord had healed him. This man was in the temple environment occasionally, fairly well known by neighbors and friends, as the dialogue here tells us. And Jesus took this man in order to make a significant sanctified spectacle out of him. Because this was a man that had been born blind. There's no question about it. In fact, the evidence he'd been born blind was the testimony of his very own parents who were called to the temporary assize set up by the Pharisees to inquire about this miracle. Jesus tells his disciples that he is working the works of the Father, and as long as he has to do the works of the Father, he has to do it while it's day. The night comes when you cannot work, and so he sets forth with doing another very significant demonstration of his power, his deity, but most importantly, his person, his whole person. Jesus was obviously a man, a human being, It was his deity that was always in question. And any claims of deity or any prerogatives concerning deity that he would have assumed, such as forgiving sins or anything like that, was always under scrutiny by the the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple rulers. And we see that theme going all the way through these chapters of John, how that Jesus is always being looked at with the jaundiced eye. And, and they are increasing their hostility to him. The very previous chapter closes that they set up stones to throw at him. And at other times they said that he was, they were going to take his life, but his hour had not yet come. And here Jesus is doing another flagrant miracle like he had done earlier in causing the lame man who had been laying on the pallet for many, many years to take up his bed and walk. 
So we have now one of these miracles that Jesus puts in front of the people. His disciples, the people that followed Jesus, the inquiring and curious crowd that was always around Jesus in these public places, as well as the officials and the officers. And so we see what Jesus does. There's a whole lot here and more than we can really talk about. Uh, For example, we could get sidetracked on own sinfulness being the immediate cause of an affliction, which the Bible teaches us that all of our afflictions, all of our sins, and all of our uh, have contributed to our afflictions and our shortcomings. So the disciples, they had the fallacy of limited alternative. They just simply saw, who sinned, this man, this blind man, or his parents? They understood that the parent's sin could affect the child. Oh, boy, I wish we had time to preach on that. The parent's sin can affect the child. Down multiple generations, we've learned from reading our Bible and from studying our psychology and our sociology. Jesus says, neither one in this case. In this case, this man is afflicted this way in order that God may be glorified and that the demonstration of God's power may be set forth. So Jesus does something kind of unusual. We could get sidetracked on the discussion about what was going on when Jesus made the mud, taking the spittle and putting it in in the sand and making the clay and anointing, literally smearing it on the eyes of the man born blind. This was a a practice that was seen by good and bad alike in the ancient day. Jesus commanded him to go to the pool and to wash it off, demanding a response upon the man's part. This miracle is done differently than a lot of the others Jesus did. Jesus performed miracles in all kinds of ways, touching, not touching, being there, being absent from there. The miracles of Christ follow an incredible range of of modalities. In this case, he told the man to go wash it in a particular place, the pool of Siloam. Siloam was a pool that had been uh, created back in the days of King Hezekiah during the siege of the Assyrian army in the days of Isaiah. There's a fountain in the Kidron Valley that pours forth a wonderful stream of water right there on the edge of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah had made a tunnel and a conduit in order that the fountain may be able to flow and gather it in a large pool to provide a water supply to the city of Jerusalem. So when the sieging armies of Sennacherib had cut off the supply of water, as was so often done, the people still had a water source. And the water source there was the very source of the vitality of the city under the days of siege. Oh, do you remember Jesus talking about how he will give us the water of life? The fountain that flows, not a cistern, not just a storage tank, but an ever-flowing fountain fed Siloam's pool. There was an upper pool and a lower pool. The Lord commanded him to go, and he went to that pool. That pool means sent, or one sent. 
And how many times has Jesus already told us in this gospel alone that he is sent from the Father? That the Father had sent him to do the Father's will. And that he was here on a mission for the Father. There's a sense in which the blind man was sent to the fount, to the source, to the place of spiritual life and ultimate healing. And he did, and three times his testimony is, I went to the fountain, I washed my eyes, and I received my sight. I went down there blind and muddy. I came back seeing and cleansed. Oh, the early church fathers just had a heyday with this because they saw in this baptism. They saw in this uh, washing ritual and a lot of other wonderful symbolic things. But I don't want us to miss that. But kind of the heart of this whole thing, and I'll summarize it in the couple of minutes I have left, is the, the dialogue that takes place. First of all, the Jews, the Pharisees, the leading elders of the, uh, of the people, were already hostile to Christ, and they tried every way they could to deny this miracle. They said, well, maybe he's a different guy. He's not the guy that we've seen sitting and begging. They've done some kind of change out here. Then they said, well, maybe he was never really blind from birth. Maybe this was not quite so much of a miracle. So they summoned his parents. And his parents, bless their hearts, the Bible says they were in fear of the Jews. They had already been threatened if they said anything that's favorable to Christ. They'd be thrown out of the synagogue. And so they just said, he's of age, ask him. Let him testify for himself. And if I were a preacher, I'd preach nothing but his testimonies. They said, who did this? Well, it was a man named Jesus. That's all he knew to start with. Sometimes that's all we know, just this, this man named Jesus. Don't know much about him, don't know where he came from, don't know who he is, never really had any faith and trust in him, just know about him. I didn't even see him. I didn't even see him. I was blind, and then when I came back, he was gone. I wouldn't even know what he looks like. I couldn't pick him out of a crowd. He's a man named Jesus. And later on, they push him a little harder, and he comes up with a prophet. Just like the woman at the well. said, who is this man that did this? He's, he's a prophet. Which gives him a tremendous status in the eyes of God's people. Prophets are very important in biblical history. Then he reasons with them a little later on and says, well, all I know is I was blind and now I see. Well, I'm telling you, it is hard to argue with first-hand testimony. It's one thing to see something. It's another thing for it to happen to you. One of my favorite old gospel songs I listened to as a kid back in the 50s was, I was there when it happened. And I guess I ought to know. And that's kind of his testimony. All I know is that I was blind and now I have my sight. And then he gets into a theological discussion with him. And he takes kind of an interesting approach. He said, well, now surely this man must be from God or have some kind of divine power upon him else he could not do such a miracle as this. And the people said, no, he's a sinner. And when they command here that he give glory to God, it's not saying, oh, let's gather around and have a praise session and give glory to God. That was not their intent of their heart. 
To give glory to God is to recognize God's awesome power and to tell the truth in his presence. This is an oath. Giving glory to God is take an oath before God and tell us that you're telling the truth. And they ask him again what had happened. This time under oath. And he turns to him and says, I've already told you what happened. Why are you asking me all these detailed questions, he asks. Well, is it possible, he says, in a sardonic tone of voice, is it possible that you too want to follow Jesus and be his disciple? That's why you're so interested. Absolutely not, the Pharisee says. We are disciples of Moses. We know Moses spoke that God spoke to Moses. We know the words of Moses. We are devotees of Moses and his teaching, which is true. And here's the problem, they say. This man is not of God because he has violated the commandments of Moses. He healed on the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus healed the lame man on the Sabbath. Jesus has a bad habit of doing these things on the Sabbath day. But here's the problem. He showed them that they didn't understand what the Sabbath was. The Sabbath says that you shall cease from all your labors on the Sabbath. Your laborious, toilsome, routine, daily, mundane work. That's what's to cease. The works of God are proper on the Sabbath. Healing, restoration, taking spittle and making clay and kind of doing a little miniature creation. That is the work of God. And God himself ordains good things on the Sabbath. And Jesus himself is the Sabbath. And everything he does in giving life, in giving sight, in giving giving, uh, wholeness to the lame man, everything he does is to accentuate who he is and where he had come from. This is what Jesus was doing. He was not violating the Sabbath. He was living out the Sabbath, glorifying and sanctifying in every way the Lord's day, the Sabbath day. What happens here is kind of sad. They excommunicate him is what happens. He's excommunicated from the fellowship. It says he's cast out the same word where Jesus said, if you come to me, I will not cast you out. But they did. They cast the man out. And he's now seeing, learning a little more about the power of God, thinking through, ruminating upon what has happened to him understanding his own empirical experience and what's going on in his life. No doubt reflective, obviously theologically engaged, but he's cast out. He's not blind anymore, but he's lost. And one of the most beautiful things you'll read is is verse 35. Where it says in verse 34, they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. That's what Jesus does. He finds the outcast. 
He seeks the lost. He finds them. And Jesus then calls him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He said, yes, but I need to know more. I don't know exactly who he is. And Jesus gives that open testimony of what he has been trying to get across with miracle sign, teaching, and wonder. I am he. I am the one that is talking to you. Just like he had told the woman at the well, you remember. I that speak to you am he. Christ is that Messiah, that Son of Man, that Son of God. And notice what the man says. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Started out, it's a man called Jesus. He's a prophet. He's obviously from God because he has great power. And now, full circle, completely back to the place where he was lost, he had been found. Well, he could sing Amazing Grace, couldn't he? He could sing that part that says, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. That's what Jesus does to his soul. That's what he's done to my soul. I know this much. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was vile and wretched, but I've been healed and restored and cleansed. And I trust that's the testimony of each one here. The great irony of all this is Jesus came to bring enlightenment to the world, to to shine into the world. And his shining into the world would shine into all the dark places and it would expose the sin and the corruption and the hypocrisy that was in humanity. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I've come for judgment. Not a judgment in terms of making a decision, but a judgment in terms of exposing the evidence. And the Pharisees said, oh, you, are you going to say that we're blind? Jesus said, no, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. The fact that you claim you can see makes you lost. If in your blindness you think you're seeing, then you're lost beyond your own imagination. And that's the the issue with the sinner, the dead sinner, the lost sinner, the blind sinner. Is you're so lost, you don't even know you're lost. You're so blind, you don't even know you're blind. You're so far from God, you don't know how far you are. And as he warned in the previous chapter, he said, if you continue like this, you will die in your sin. And he says something similar to the Pharisees here. He says, your sin remains. Your sin continues to condemn you. Oh, pray that the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ will show will so shine in your life that you will see your sin. You will repent of your sin. You'll be washed in the pool of Siloam by the one that God has sent to save your soul.